Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in to a belated Not The Top 20 podcast. What is normally the Monday pod is now a Tuesday late afternoon podcast. I'm Ali Maxwell, on the line with me as ever is George Ellick and this can only be described as a reaction style podcast. Today of course uh, was the day of decisions in the EFL, a truly historic day uh, and a fairly unprecedented one in English football and within the EFL as well. Exceptional circumstances and uh, exceptional outcomes as well. I must admit, George, d- despite the seriousness of, of what happened today and what the clubs were voting on, I did laugh at the phrase extraordinary general meeting the egm and it stands for extraordinary general meeting of course that is a you know it's a pretty it's a fairly standard corporate phrase i think but you don't often yeah. see it in football but these certainly are uh, extraordinary times how do i find you this afternoon george ellick pretty relieved that it's coming to a to an end i think um my two main thoughts are i can't believe that you know three months ago i did a BBC Radio 5 live show talking about what's going to happen in League 1 and League 2 around coronavirus. And this evening, you know, just under three months later, just under 12 weeks later, I'm doing a five live show talking about what's happened. If you told me back on that first day it was going to take that long to get here, yeah, I'm just pretty happy that we've come to some kind of a conclusion. Um, I guess that the good surprise that comes out of today is that we're going to be seeing at least some League 2 football next week, which is... uh, you know, was I guess the surprise of the day. Mm. Um, we thought if there was a surprise, maybe it would be that the, the Tranmere um, margin of error PPG model would be uh, get more support. It, it transpires that seemingly none of the alternative methods of, of completing the season, whether that's Tranmere's uh, much lauded one, uh, which I must say um, in my research seemed to be pretty fair, um, or the no relegation from the Championship one that was introduced by by Barnsley. Um, the the playoff bonanza one from Ipswich <laughs> in a desperate attempt to to maintain some relevance. Uh, it seems like what we're hearing is that none of them were, um, you know, got much support. Uh, and in League Two, only one team, Forest Green, voted uh, to try and complete the season. Um, so no surprises there, but just good that not too much longer to wait until we've got some playoff drama to unfold in front of our eyes. For anyone who has struggled to be fully on top of things, uh, George has touched on it there. There were two votes today. The first one was a vote on framework. Again, not much of a football word that, but essentially listening to the various proposals uh, on how to settle a league table in the event of a containment of the league. You know, in, in this instance, a league Uh, or two divisions especially that were paused 80% of the way through. What do you do with the league table and the EFL proposal, which was uh, voted in uh, with a majority that was unweighted points per game, uh, the normal amount of automatic promotion places, the normal amount of playoff teams for, uh, and the normal amount of relegation spots, the the sort of missionary option, I suppose, if you will. Uh, And you've touched on some of the proposals from other clubs as well. Tranmere, Barnsley, Lincoln, uh, Ipswich and Stevenage as well, who who had a little dig at, uh, at trying to um, sort of uh, make sure that relegation was not a thing. But uh, it is the EFL's proposal that was voted in and then the leagues voted on whether or not to curtail the season, whether or not they could or would play the remaining uh, nine regular season games. We know that the championship uh, is continuing. We'll start again next weekend. So next week, certainly the Monday podcast will be finally previewing some football, which is very exciting. Um, but both League Two and League One voted to curtail, uh, as expected, uh, as you mentioned, 23 of 24 League Two teams with Forest Green, the only ones that wanted to keep playing. Uh, and 19 of the 23 League One teams. Uh, of course, we've heard a lot from uh, many different uh, sides of the coin, many different opinions. Uh, ultimately, it's worth uh, it, it is worth just pointing out that for for the majority of these teams who potentially didn't have anything riding on it in terms of promotion and relegation, um, the the bills that would have had to be paid for testing players and continually testing players and staff for coronavirus of taking players off the furlough scheme uh, with, of course, no gate income, with no real revenue coming in was something that put a lot of teams off there. A lot of teams in League One and League Two saying they simply could not afford to do that. So, yeah, no surprises. Ultimately, this is what 
had been sort of leaked, I suppose, in 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 the previous days before today. Uh, even Peterborough in Barry Fry and Dara McAntony, despite being very vocal opposers of the EFL framework, seemed to um, seem to expect what we got today. Um, just before we get into the individual leagues and, and sort of really drill down, a reminder that the, the podcast is sponsored by The Athletic. And as we record now, there is a live chat on site with tons of questions flooding in uh, from Athletic subscribers, being answered by Matt Slater, who you will all know from the podcast, who really does very well to stay on top of things. So do get involved there uh, as you listen or after you listen or even before you listen. Today is our reaction podcast, but also over the next few days, we will have a going up, going down episode. That is the podcast that we do for The Athletic, talking to some people involved at clubs, affected positively or negatively, or potentially neither, uh, reacting to today's news. So please do uh, make sure that you're subscribed to that and uh, do sign up to The Athletic as well. Give it a go if you've, if you've held up signing up to this point uh, you can get a seven day free trial so it really is worth just checking it all out and seeing what it has to offer uh, and if you use our link as well you get 50 percent off which is just two pounds 50 a month so that is the athletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20 ntt20 george let's get our teeth into the messy scenarios in league one uh, how many times do you think i'm allowed to call league one the naughty middle child before that phrase goes from ah nice turn of phrase Ali to please shut up just shut up I think I think probably once we're through the coronavirus um era the era of covid I think then you've got to stop I'm afraid that's that's the end of it um although let's hope probably something we're going to talk about later in the podcast let's hope that we're still talking about league one in a couple of years time and there hasn't been a whole different uh, mm. a bit of a shake-up of the league um of how they're set up yeah we're definitely going to talk next steps at the end of the podcast or at least muse on some of the next steps uh, ultimately george coventry are champions promoted to the championship as are rotherham promoted automatically in second place at the playoffs we'll see oxford play portsmouth and fleetwood play wickham now as we record the dates for the League One playoff semi-finals have not come through, but we are keeping an eye on things. So hopefully by the end of the pod, we will have some League One playoff semi-final dates for you. Uh, and then it's poor, it's bad news. Poor news, I was going to say. It's not really a phrase. It's bad <laughs> It's bad news for poor Tranmere, uh, Southend and Bolton Wanderers, who will be relegated to League Two. For Bolton, that is only the second time in their history that they'll be playing in the fourth tier. And we're going to get into Tranmere potentially being the most hard done by of any club here. Uh, but first, George, a word on Coventry, our League One champions in this bizarre, curtailed season, but absolutely no question uh, that they are deserved champions and a team that we're excited to see playing championship football next season. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it, it, they're the one side who I think come out of this pretty much unscathed. Nobody can can question whether or not they deserve their promotion. Uh, they were a team clear at the top of League One with games in hand, playing a fantastic style of football. Um, we've spoken a fair bit in the last 18 months about their excitement, exciting recruitment, and that seems to have continued during this break as well. Mm, you have, team, you're very excited about the uh, the signing that they've picked up from Holland last week, who we don't know much about, but uh, a lot of smarter people than us seem to, t- seem to say could be quite a nice option for them. Yeah, and just I think spending a rumoured £1.5 million shows it's a club that have been through some difficult times recently who are coming out the other side now, uh, both on and off the pitch. Uh, they have known, I think, since mid-March, this was going to be just, you know, this was always going to happen. This promotion was going to come. They were going to be cha- crown champions. So of all the newsworthy parts of today, their promotion to the championship, and it's long overdue, Um it marks a remarkable turnaround for Mark Robbins, who, let's not forget, was in charge of the club when they were relegated a couple of years ago from League One into League Two, mm. um, winning the the checker trade and doing so. But the way that he's turned the club around, the way that he's brought on the youth products there as well, um, so successfully alongside some decent recruitment, playing a, a, you know, a very pretty brand of football, let's say, also hamstrung, seemingly, although not, according to the results, by playing the home games at St Andrews with minimal fans or atmosphere. Um, yeah, when we look back on the season, all the talk will be about around coronavirus and and it'll be the, always be the unfinished season, no matter what people say. Uh, but I hope that the job that Mark Robbins has done and this promotion of Coventry, uh, you can't really take anything away from it. 
it's a, a truly magnific- magnificent example of uh, of, uh, of of success over three seasons. I would say after relegation from League One to League Two, which for uh, a club like Coventry who clearly spent the majority of their history at a higher level could have been very damaging as it has been for other clubs like Notts County, for example, a team they played in the League Two playoffs not that long ago. A, a magnificent example of, of managing a club from Mark Robbins as the first team manager. Also, dare I say it, uh, off the field as well. It's, it's kind of hard to separate from where we are. Um, Sisu, a very unpopular owners whose reign has seen a large decline and clearly the ridiculous scenario of a team from Coventry playing their football first in Northampton and now in Birmingham. But I would suggest, given that this is a club that has got things right over the last three years, that some people behind the scenes and outside of Mark Robbins are doing a very good job putting in place at the very least on the football operations side, uh, a, a good team, a, a team that supports their manager and their staff uh, and also has put together a, 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 an impressive squad and, and sometimes, uh, in yeah, as you've kind of touched on, a slightly left-field manner in terms of recruitment. So it's a fabulous um, piece of, of work, really, I suppose, over three seasons, uh, as I said. And it's also the first time that Coventry have finished in the top five of any division for 53 years. Absolutely uh, unbelievable, that. When they won the old second division title in 1966-67. So for their fans, 53 years of not being even in the top five uh, champions <laughs> and worthy worthy champions. Uh, let's, it's it's interesting. I've been listening to a fair bit of Quickly Kevin on my, on my runs over the last couple of weeks. And this morning I was listening to the Richard Shaw um, episode, former Coventry defender, and they talk on the podcast about how they're always accused of, of ignoring Coventry. And Coventry do, I guess, feel like maybe a bit of a, a team who have been a bit forgotten over the last couple of decades, a team who have kind of fallen away from former glories, let's say. So very happy for their fans that for a couple of years now they've had a fair bit to cheer about. And happy for Steve Grizovich as well. I've no doubt that he'll be uh, <laughs> raising a glass or something, whatever his favourite tipple is tonight. Um, uh, just a um, yeah. Um, I always think of his name when I think of Coventry City. Maybe that's the the age in which I grew up, or whatever. Well, and, and, and it's Merlin Stickerbook as well. Yeah, Merlin Stickerbook, Gavin and Stacey reference as well. Anyway, um, let's get into I suppose less happy things and uh, and more uh, things that are slightly diff- more difficult to to discuss. And that is that the proposal. Uh, was always going to be pretty tough in League One because we had a situation where Rotherham was second on 62 points. And we had Oxford, Portsmouth and Fleetwood all on 60 points, two points behind. Uh, and then Peterborough, Sunderland and Wickham on 59 points uh, with Sunderland having played a game more than the rest and Wickham having played a game less than the rest. does mean that Wickham are into third from eighth. It means that Rotherham uh, go up in second place despite only being a couple of points ahead of the chasing pack and it means that a few teams, notably Peterborough and Sunderland, uh, miss out of the playoffs having been, well, in Peterborough's case, in them uh, technically uh, based on the league table when we stop. So I guess the, the big question, George, is you kind of mentioned Mark Palios's uh, proposal, Tramia's proposal uh, earlier on. In their proposal, you would have had a uh, eight team playoff battle, which would have included Rotherham. Rotherham would not have been given automatic promotion. They would have been bunched up with seven other teams, including Doncaster uh, and all of the teams in between Oxford, Portsmouth, Fleetwood, Peterborough, Sunderland, Wickham. I guess uh, from this perspective, talking about this part of League One, um, what do you think about how things shook shook out? How how much, I suppose, do you subscribe to the uh, Dara McAntony view? And I, I, I don't like talking about him too much because it does feel like he gets more press than the other 70 chairman in the EFL put together at times. But um, how much do you subscribe to the Dara McAntony view that uh, Peterborough, for example, have been shafted and Rotherham, for example, are getting uh, what he's called a, a fake promotion? It's it's hard to totally disagree. Uh, but I think you have to nuance that with the fact that this was always going to end with certain people feeling like they've been shortchanged. Uh, I think a, a very key thing to understand, or two, a question and a key thing to understand with this. Firstly, I think the EFL were incredibly keen to ensure that 
the very structure of the leagues and the methods of relegation and promotion didn't change. I think four teams in in the playoffs, if there were going to be playoffs, was important. I think having playoffs rather than promoting a third team by any model was very important. I think not changing the terms of relegation from what was the normal season was also key. So, but remember, the, think, the EFL might have been keen for that, but it's the clubs that voted on it. So ultimately, well, no, because well, no, the, the EFL created their preferred framework. Right. That, that, that was their that was their choice. Mm. No, it, it was their preferred thing that was put forward. So. Yeah. Um, but having said that, and then, you know, I look at the Palios argument and what he says quite clearly makes sense. Uh, there, there is a margin for error here. You probably should be looking to only reward or punish teams who were quite clearly destined for that outcome. But where I think it falls short, and this is was key to what his argument was, is using anything as a predictive tool here. I, I don't think points per game or the way that we've ended up finishing the season was being used in any way to try and best reflect what would have happened for the rest of the season. You know, Palios talks about how um, points per game is, is very bad at predicting what's going to go on to happen at the end of the season, citing examples that if you took other seasons and looked at who would have gone down at this time, not many of them go down. That's fine. But this is, I mean, it's such a cliche to say it in all walks of life, but this is totally unprecedented. And therefore, to look back at previous examples isn't what we're trying to do at all here. This isn't trying to accurately predict what was going to happen. And if that was going to be the case, then you'd have to introduce some kind of a model, you know, a performance model rather than just a, a an analysis of, of points on the board so far. You know, you look at 538 and, and their statistical model, they have Peterborough and Rotherham on equal 43% chance of promotion this season. So you've got one side who the performance data and the you know the fixtures to come, um, they're you know two sides who have the same possible chance according to that one model. One of them has gone up automatically, and one of them has finished outside the playoffs. However, the reason why I don't think that is necessarily such an issue is because the point of this and the point of points per game is not predictive. The point is to try and analyse who has performed the best out of the football that we've already seen. I personally think there are better ways maybe of doing this, such as introducing the weighted PPG model that we saw previously. Uh, but in terms of just straight up analysing what's already happened, not looking at current form, not looking at injuries, not looking at players who've come in in January and changed teams or whatever, then this is fairer. I mean, that it just has to be the case. And you can't use form lines you know, you can't use the fact that Ivan Tony is playing incredibly well as a reason why Peterborough should go up. Because if you are, then you have to introduce a far, far bigger model. So I understand why there, are, why there's going to be a gripe. I think that if there had been an agreement with the Tranmere model, I think personally think that Rotherham's argument would be just as valid uh, that they had been hard done by by not being uh, automatically promoted when the team above them, the other team in the promotion zone, Coventry, had been. Um, it's now is the time just to accept that someone was always going to call heads and be right, and the, whoever's landed with tails has to get on with it. Well, it's certainly Tranmere who ultimately feel the most hard done by here, and potentially why uh, their chairman uh, put together what was, you know, actually, if you read it, it a lot of it made sense, but I think ultimately it was still a complicated proposal. It was a proposal that uh, a lot of people, um, it, it just, it, it felt like a lot, shall I say. I, I also happen to think that, I wouldn't go as far as saying it was the fairest, but it might have ended up being the least unfair in the sense that, it, you know, it was trying to limit the damage, I suppose, um, that it's causing teams who were, as you put it, uh, on the wrong side of, of this coin. Um, but ultimately, whether it was too complicated, whether people couldn't get past the fact that it was coming from Tranmere and they would be the main beneficiary, you'd say, uh, of this. Um, maybe that's what people couldn't get past. We also know um, that it would have his suggestion would have seen an extra team in League One next season and therefore an extra relegation spot. So potentially some of the teams in the middle might have thought, well, actually, that's going to cause us a bit more risk down the line. It's hard to say, but it, you know, it felt like the strongest challenger to the EFL's framework, and yet it, uh, it didn't really get close to being pushed through. I think, you know, one thing that I would just uh, that I would just share from from essentially what Mark Palios 
wrote, which I think is very hard to argue with and just shows what a tough situation this is and, and how it is a little unfair on certain teams. Um, you've basically got four teams, the League One playoff teams, who are allowed to keep playing in order to achieve promotion through the playoffs. Um, but you've got Tranmere who are told, sorry, you can't play. You're not allowed to keep playing. Uh, you're relegated and you don't have a chance to um, achieve your objective, which is to essentially move up one spot. And you'd probably say, George, you know odds better than me, but I, I would suspect the probability of Tranmere at the time where football was paused, the, the odds, I dare say, of them rising one place above the relegation zone in nine remaining games with a game in hand, with good form and all that was probably a higher probability uh, than the probability of any of the four teams heading into the playoffs actually winning the playoffs and, and being promoted. So really tough. Tramia certainly are done by Peterborough, of course, Sunderland potentially to some extent as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say, and I agree with you, with Tranmere, they they are the worst off. I mean, you mentioned plenty of reasons why they're, because they'd fancy their way to go up. They also won their last three games coming into this, and they invested heavily in January, bringing in the likes of you know James Vaughan and people who had quite clearly changed their fortunes. But having said that, football has never really been very fair. You know, teams can go up and down. I know at the end of the day, you're playing your 46 games or whatever, and where you come is where you end up finishing and that's widely accepted. But at the same time, we've seen football matches um, decided on contentious matters every week consistently over a period of time. You know, we've seen in massive games, big decisions go against teams and, and which can alter the, their outcome going forward. I, I completely understand why they feel hard done by, but there's a certain integrity to the leagues that needs to be upheld, which doesn't include opening eight playoff spots and having a 25 team division next season I think once that was another reason why it as much as I liked the idea of it the league two playoffs had they adopted the Palios approach um, none of the three automatically promoted teams would have been automatically promoted because they weren't far enough ahead Uh, so it would have been a I think nine team playoffs for three promotion spots I don't even know how how you do that how you actually play out those games there has to be a line somewhere where you go from being fair to just being a bit over the top and I think this is somewhere if you take null and void as being totally unfair which anyone who argues otherwise is just speaking out of complete self-interest here because we played you know 35 games of football so that has to matter so if that's the one end of the spectrum I would say the other end of the spectrum where you're just sacrificing too much in the name of, of fairness um, you know we're talking, if you put it in like normal football terms, to talking about this is the equivalent of like awarding points to teams who had blatant penalties turned down late in games and stuff. You just you just have to at some stage hold your hands up and say, look, you've been hard done by. It is very unfair, but we've we've got to move on. We've got to find a way to move forward. Uh, another part of this, uh, which isn't to do with fairness necessarily, but there is a real frustration about how long it's taken for. Uh, this all to get done for decisions to be made. Uh, Initially, this meeting was meant to be on Monday the 1st of June, then it got uh, pushed back to Monday the 8th of June and then to today. Uh, It's an interesting topic, George, because, you know, it's kind of, is this the right way for major decisions to be made uh, in in the EFL? Uh, I saw a uh, Nigel Adderley, who's a Tranmere fan, basically suggesting that you know, it shouldn't be up to the clubs uh, and that the EFL, uh, Dara McAntony has said, should should have shown stronger leadership and basically told teams what to do. And I think that's a really tough one because I kind of understand where they're coming from. It would be great if uh, the EFL was the perfect uh, overseer of divisions and made only sensational decisions and in a way that everyone would follow um, that's not the situation that the EFL is in. And I dare say that if they played God and just started making big decisions like this, that would, you know, with no say from anyone else, without opening, yeah, it, up, without opening it up to proposals, which is ultimately, I imagine, what delayed things. They, were, they took too long, I think, to say, okay, everyone put in your proposals uh, because it feels like this could have happened. You know, at least we could have been having the conversation in April or so. Um, anyway, I just thought I, think, it, I just well, thought I it was interesting. That, it feels to me slightly like the, the fact that the vote was today. If I'm going to be, you know, 
looking at kind of conspiracy ideas, it seems to me like it was pushed as late as possible to to, to prevent um, teams from having a possible chance of playing on for the rest of the season. But, I mean, especially given that the Championship Club has voted for this framework today, despite, you know, three days after the actual fixtures have been released. I mean, it doesn't really make much sense. Um, but at the same time, you know, for the first time today, given the circus surrounding this whole um, situation, for the first time today, there's been talk again about the fact that there is no guarantee that the National League will start next season, which is a prerequisite for any team to be relegated from League Two whatsoever. There's no guarantee necessarily that we that these clubs that we're talking about today are going to be in a position to kick off the season in League One or League Two in September if there aren't going to be any fans in stadiums. So the idea that the EFL as a governing body who are there basically to to help govern the leagues rather than tell businesses necessarily how to run, although they are there to protect the businesses, the idea that they could turn to a business owner and say to them, right, you must cease to, to operate or you must continue to operate when that would be at the potentially fatal detriment to that business is just never going to happen. And, you know, in, in an age at the moment where, you know, outside of football, democracy seems to be slightly floating away from us. Um, I think the idea of having a totalitarian EFL is a, is a fairly scary one. Potentially, it's not uh, not necessarily stronger leadership, uh, as some would say that we needed, but swifter, swifter governance, swifter, mm. swifter leadership, if, uh, if I may say. But um, that is where things have shaken out. Just a couple of extra bits and bobs. Rotherham now have a sequence of seasons, which is relegated promoted relegated promoted so that's fun we look forward to seeing uh, if they can stay up in in the championship next season they will be you'd imagine uh, quite heavy favorites for the drop so we could be looking at relegated promoted relegated promoted relegated uh, but who's to say wickham um who you know i don't want to say they've had a real touch here because you know they they are they were third in the points per game total that's what's been chosen they were also eighth in the actual table it's just a a quirk of 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 where we were with games in hand but um yeah they they are beneficiaries i think it's fair to say of this system it's also their highest ever finish in league football uh third place uh, in in english league football so well done to them same with fleetwood as well it's their highest ever uh, league finish and yeah ipswich's lowest i think it was and ipswich's lowest very possible 11th in, uh, in league one yeah fairly grim um not a lot of good vibes at ipswich at the moment uh, wimbledon you'd say that they are beneficiaries as well not so much that they've got lucky in any way you know that they, they were above the relegation zone uh, in the table they were above the relegation zone on points per game so let's not forget that Tramir we're not you know we're not a given to stay up um but obviously this does suit uh, Wimbledon in that they are safe and they don't have to incur the costs of uh, of playing which according to some teams would have been too much to bear and potentially more than half a million pounds and some other teams trying to downplay that and say actually it would have been affordable it's hard to say um I think we've probably done with the league one gov- I think governance fairness chat but I am definitely inter- I am interested to know what your uh, feelings are what your emotions are about the fact that Oxford United are heading into their first ever EFL playoff campaign. Yeah, pretty pretty happy. Um, I, I tweeted a fellow Oxford fan earlier saying it kind of, in a bad situation, it kind of feels like the best possible outcome because, you know, obviously we want to get promoted. But I, I said it on the podcast a few weeks ago, getting promoted via a tweet, via a press release, especially when, you know, you haven't really been in the promotion positions all season, would feel a bit funny. But now... Looking, I mean, I might be on the sofa. Um, fingers crossed. Maybe I'll be able to to work at one of the games if that if that kind of thing's happening. Um, but really excited to watch uh, some football. And you know, if the great thing for whoever gets promoted from League One and League Two, you know, they're going to be the only two teams in League One and League Two who have that moment of euphoria. And and whilst it might not be in a stand at Wembley, or whilst it might not be in the terraces in in the semis. And whilst you may not be able to to necessarily hug those around you if they're not part of your household, um, it's it's going to be pretty special. So I'm, I'm you know if that is lucky enough to be me, I mean even if we end up getting to the playoff final and getting beat, I still am looking forward to just having 
um, watching a couple of games of my team of massive importance because that mm. is what it's all about. I'm sporting Pompey, by the way. Fine, you're not you're not welcome over to watch in the garden with me. So just to, just trying to provide some balance more than anything. Play up, Pompey. We don't yet have the playoff dates for you, unfortunately, but we will endeavour to update you if they drop as we record. If not, make sure you're following us at NTT20pod. We'll make sure that we uh, drop in the playoff dates in League One uh, when we can. Moving on to League Two, things were significantly more clear-cut. A few weeks ago, League Two had already provided the EFL, I suppose, with what was an indicative vote that they were uh, fairly uh, together in not wanting to play the rest of the season, although Forest Green Rovers did did fancy it, did fancy it, and it's worth pointing that out, but 23 teams did not fancy it. They were also, uh, we were led to believe, more or less happy with the EFL's proposed framework of points per game, although we know that they, they had voted not to relegate a team. So they didn't get entirely what they wanted. The EFL's framework very much has a team in League Two being relegated, But we don't know who yet because, as discussed with Matt Slater a few times in the last month or two, uh, we do have a situation where Stevenage are at the very bottom of League Two, where Macclesfield are uh, sort of close to them and potentially moving closer uh, in the sense that they uh, are still uh, under... Well, we're waiting to hear the, the result of an independent commission to work out exactly how much punishment they will have for various misdemeanours over the last year or so uh, and and whether that would drop them below Stevenage. I think there's three points gap at the moment between the two teams. Maxfield having played a game more, though, um, so it, I can't quite work it out. My maths isn't good enough to work out the points per game just by looking at the BBC Sport table. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we don't know who will get relegated um, and as you've mentioned, a lot depends on whether the National League can and will return, etc., I dare say. And we do have three teams that we know are heading up and playing League One football next season. George Swindon Town are champions. An amazing uh, achievement from Richie Wellens. Uh, Crew and Plymouth promoted in second and third. Uh, a word on all three teams, I think, because uh, we've really enjoyed watching all three of these sides. Uh, you know, your own sort of club uh, sentiments notwithstanding and uh, and and you know whether they're champions or second or third doesn't really much matter uh, Swindon to start with have, have <laughs> so you that said that not me uh, Swindon to start with have had a, a pretty sensational time under a manager who we are always keen to praise and give a lot of credit for uh, a really impressive campaign for them I think I think there are just big similarities across the three teams um, in terms of their relative size. I know you hate that word, but in terms of kind of the ambitions of the clubs, in terms of what they could do next season coming into League One, you know, they're, they're three sides who, when we sat down in August and, or late July and spoke about how we fancied both MK Dons and Lincoln to do okay in League One, you know, they, those were quite big shouts because they were teams who were kind of punching above their weight a little bit in terms of what we'd expect. Whereas with Swindon, Crew, and Plymouth, it wouldn't be a surprise at all to see all three of them go on to you know, continue their their form um, because of the ambition and because of the, the level of manager or coach that all three of them have at their helm. Uh, Richie Wellens, David Artell and Ryan Lowe are three managers who I am pretty confident will probably not manage in League Two again for, for a fair amount of time um, unless they're relegated or unless, um, you know, the, the issues that Matt Slater alluded to around Swindon Town's ownership um, really does deteriorate in the next few weeks uh so yeah really excited for all three of them i mean they're, they're three clubs who are going to be great to have in the league all three of them playing really good football um i think it's it's huge news for crew who realistically need to get the promotion in order to keep certain players on board um be interesting to see what kind of offers they they get for the likes of ng and pickering and kirk because you know, these are three guys who certainly would have come in for offers had this not happened, but we don't really know what the transfer market in the EFL is going to look like going forward. Um, with Swindon, you know, it's a, it's a pretty similar story, really. Um, with Wellens, you can be pretty confident that they're going to continue the way that they've been going. And, you know, Plymouth and Ryan Lowe were just starting to really hit their bootstraps um, uh, when, when football got um, called off. So, yeah, just three, three very, very worthy winners. Uh, you've got to feel... I guess a bit sorry for Exeter and Cheltenham who 
were, were hot on their heels. But in this case, I think the, the three best teams um, have certainly been the ones that have been rewarded for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can only really echo what you've said. It feels a long time ago since we were covering these leagues weekly and, and talking about these teams a lot as uh, as sort of contenders, I suppose. But uh, I think for the most part, we, we've kind of said it all before, uh, all playing what is, for most people, uh, aesthetically pleasing football. And, and I know that that is very much in the eye of the beholder, but uh, Swindon with just a really modern approach, both comfortable in possession, but also excellent in transition. And uh, I'm always thinking back to uh, when I spoke to Richie Wellens on this podcast, not the top 20 meets Richie Wellens, probably towards the back end of last season where Swindon were were sort of, um, you know, they'd improved under his tutelage. They were coming mid-table, I believe. And, you know, we got talking about style of play. There'd been a, a big change post Phil Brown uh, in how Wellens wanted them to play. Uh, I dare say there were some Swindon fans who took a while to come round to the idea. I remember, I remember watching a load of clips and hearing a lot of, uh, one particular voice in the stands shouting, get it forward, <laughs> uh, as they recycled the ball around the uh, around the defence patiently. Uh, and Richie Wellens was very clear that he, he he felt anyway that A, it was achievable to get uh, a group of fourth-tier players playing in that way, uh, but also it was transferable, crucially, going up the leagues as well. His suggestion, I think, you know, without pointing any fingers at other teams, was if you play uh, a maybe more rudimentary or, or agricultural way it's a phrase that I've got in trouble for using at times by which I mean you know direct by which I mean uh you know highly structured and and ultimately defense first as they might say in the he's, states he's, he's saying the Wickham way is that what you're saying well actually I was thinking I have been in trouble with certain people linked with Wickham for saying it but I was also thinking I, I took his comment to be pointed somewhat at Lincoln City at the time um interestingly in the way that they were playing under Danny Cowley but um he has very much walked the walk and I think that it, as as a first 18 months or first two years as in, in charge of a club it, it is right up there from what I've seen uh, they are in quite a strange position off the field I don't have the knowledge or the notes at hand uh, or the wherewithal really to go through what's going on off the pitch but uh, Gareth Barry involved and all very strange I dare say if you want to find out more you will be able to find out more information on on your Googles and your Twitters and whatnot. But um, that might threaten to undermine the work that, that Wellens has done, but we hope not. And for Crew, what a magnificent side, a, a team, you know, not entirely of Youth Academy graduates. It's always worth pointing out they've had three or four really experienced campaigners who surely must have brought um, a level-headedness and, a, and a, a level of professionalism that young players simply can't have a, 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 with, with a lack of experience. So the blend has been right. Their improvement since midway through last season, equally magnificent and uh, a re- very entertaining team to watch. Plenty of goals, a lot of late goals as well. Never really knew when they were beaten and, and so many talented young players. And then Plymouth, as you say, you, know, you said they were really clicking into gear. I mean, they, they, they had t- just turned into a winning machine basically from mid-October. Mm. They did start quite poorly following relegation from, from League One. They only won three of their first 10 league games. So they were already at somewhat of a disadvantage. But um, since the well, since the 21st of September, they only lost four league games. They only drew five and they won the rest. And that was a significant number. So uh, another team that played uh, brilliant attacking football in a different style as well. This, this is what's nice about these three. They all played slightly different way. Plymouth uh, with three at the back but showing that you can play three at the back and still be a, very much a front foot team. Um, excellent to watch. And if you had told me, George, to use one of your phrases, <laughs> if you had told me this time last year that Ryan Lowe would move to Plymouth, Danny Mayer would move with him, um, and Mayer would not be ultimately the, the absolute star man for a, for a Plymouth side winning promotion, I'd have been very surprised. But that speaks to the performances of many other players, uh, not least the, the defence, uh, but also Cooper, on loan from Peterborough and, and Sarsovic as well in midfield. So well done to them. We have got playoffs and we got playoffs a bit earlier than we expected. I, I, I mean, I hadn't necessarily put my mind to where I thought these games would happen, but maybe with League Two having been mo- much more aligned and having made their stance clear earlier on, that the likes of Colchester, Exeter, Northampton and Cheltenham always knew, I suspect, that they were heading into a playoff campaign. And, you know, therefore would have been able to plan accordingly. They, they they got tested earlier than any League One clubs. I believe that they started training at the beginning of last week, by which I mean Monday the 1st of June. And the fixtures, the semi-finals, 
are on Thursday the 18th, so under 10 days' time from when we record. Colchester Exeter will play at Colchester at 5.15 on Thursday the 18th of June with Northampton Cheltenham following at 7.45. I mean, firstly, it's a feast of League Two playoff Unbelievable. Eight days' time and we are going to be watching League Two playoff action and never before will League Two playoff action, never before will League Two be so popular. So many people around the country, around the world, starved of the brilliant English game and uh, this is the first bit of EFI action that we're going to see. So... I reckon there'll probably be, I mean, I might be wrong here, there'll probably be more people watching that first game than the final, um, just because of the the uh, the willingness and the appetite there will be for football. And by then, you know, we might be sick of it. But, um, but yeah, I can't wait. I'm so excited. You know, I hope I hope we'll, we're doing some work for the for the good people at either Sky or, or BBC or, or Quest or, or something around the games because, um, yeah, I'm going to have a lot to say. Yeah, it's, it's fair to say that we are... Uh, very excited about the return of football and that is understanding that that is also quite a selfish opinion that uh, that especially for the health of the players and potential injuries this could be somewhat concerning that they have to come back we think only two and a half weeks uh, after beginning training uh, and play playoff football so there are, there are plenty of health risks and um, we don't want to sound flippant we don't want to sound like we're belittling anything but we can't hide our enthusiasm for having some football to talk about. We hope that some of you will feel the same way. We hope that you guys will, uh, you know, just hoover up as much content as possible because we're going to want to do tons of pods, previews, reviews, loads of uh, Instagram lives. If we can find out a way to do Twitter lives with two of us uh, remotely, then that could be quite a good option as well. So, um, yeah, let us know what sort of stuff you're going to want from us. George, I'm, I won't be asking you any League One playoff preview questions because your your head's gone you you you're not you're just biased you're, you're not you're not impartial and i don't want to know um exeter of course are in the league two playoffs for the third time in four seasons the previous two times they lost in the final at wembley 2016-17 and 2017-18 that game against colchester looks very tasty um from an individual and uh, players and potentially a sort of stylistic uh, sense and cheltenham northampton is just going to be I think League Two football almost at its best because they're they're two very good teams, very effective teams, and very strong teams physically as well. It's going to be a hell of a battle that, um, and that is yeah, starting next Thursday, the eighteenth of June. So this time next week, or on the Monday pod next week, there's going to be hopefully much more discussion about football, less discussion uh, about off-field stuff and governance. But we won't be ignoring that either. There are a lot of questions still to come, uh, George. I've touched on relegation in League Two. We don't know who will go down yet, whether it's Stevenage, whether it's Macclesfield. We'll make sure that we're covering that. But there are a lot of wider uh, existential, dare I say it, questions uh, about specifically Leagues One and League Two um, in the midterm, shall we say, quite apart from finishing this season, quite apart from any playoffs and playoff finals. Um, but from sort of August onwards, there are a, a, a lot of tough questions, aren't there? And, you know, we're going to do our best to, to make sure that we're covering both the football and trying to make that as entertaining and as um, in-depth uh, and enthusiastic as possible while also trying to cover what could be quite a difficult spell. I mean, what what would you say are the sort of main, having got past the votes today, what's forefront of your mind when I say what are you most worried about uh, EFL-wise at the moment? I think how um, they're going to be able to justify and then logistically get football in League One and League Two back on. You know, if, if you think of the reason why you have certain owners in League One and League Two absolutely adamant that the club cannot continue to play this season, ignoring any relevant health concerns, it's because the finances of running a football club without fans in the stadium is impossible you cannot do it these clubs very very few clubs are being run at a profit anyway very very few clubs are being run sustainably anyway and that's with the footfall that fans and you know the revenue that fans bring with them so the idea that this season is now done and we're going to get to september and if we can't have fans in the stadiums, everything's going to be fine is fanciful at best because the only thing that changes in terms of, of what owners can call upon is the government help. You know, for those people who've been following it closely and those that haven't, the furlough scheme has been absolutely essential 
for clubs being able to retain staff without having to pay them, you know, to, to en- enable them basically not to work, but continue to have um, the money, their wages coming in or a proportion of their wages. That is over the next couple of months changing and then drawing to a close. So if we get to September and there are no crowds in stadiums, you, you know, Andy Holt at Accrington has been very vocal about it. Andy Holt, the only way that Andy Holt's situation changes is that suddenly he has a lot of staff that he has to pay without the increased revenue that is needed in order to make that happen. So I think that's going to be the next big thing. And it's 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 a societal thing. It's a medical thing. It's not a football thing. We're going to have to follow what's going on very, very closely. I know that they're, you know, I'm very happy given that I'm meant to be getting married at the end of September. But there seems to be a, a general positive positive feeling at the moment that things by September are going to be largely back to normal. But there's back to normal and there's cramming, whether it's a thousand or 20,000 or, you know, in Sunderland's case, 40,000 people into a stadium sitting side by side for two hours, which includes getting them to stadiums, which includes trains, which includes, you know, sharing cars, includes having a drink in the concourse, includes being served by people. It's There are so many issues with getting fans back at games and that is going to be you know premier league and, and the championship is a different matter and that alone is an issue mm. <laughs> but but for league one and league two the process of getting those fans back paying money paying their club's money to help them run is is going to be the most important thing going forward and that's what we really really have to there's nothing that we can really do except just cross our fingers and hope that that's going to happen because if it doesn't and we get ourselves into a situation where potentially the Premier League and the Championship can restart in September without fans, but League One and League Two can't, given that the Championship and League One and League Two have already separated in terms of the way they're finishing the season, Mm. very, very quickly we have a massive divide going straight through the EFL. So whether it's clubs being unable to continue to operate or whether it's the possibility of the Championship annexing itself from League One and League Two, there are so many issues that will arise if we can't get fans back in stadiums and could arise even if, if they can. Yeah, what are the chances of financial intervention, uh, intervention, financial intervention, my apologies, coming from the top of the game? Uh, it's It seems to be clear that that is needed, that clubs, it, uh, certainly many clubs in League One, League Two and below, we should say, uh, are pretty desperate for this. Um, but to what end, uh, you know, if it did come, what might be attached? The the sort of looming threat of a PL2 uh, keeps rearing its head, keeps being suggested. If there is some sort of uh, financial bailout, if you will, from the top of the game, you know, these are, these are people who are probably used to expecting something in return. What would they want in return? How would it best suit them, shall we say? Um, if they if they did give some financial help, it's uh, it's all very concerning. We've spoken about the potential for regionalised lower leagues as well. The, these are all the sorts of things on the table, at least when we say that you know uh, in the short term we may have made some strides today, but in the mid to long term we've got uh, plenty more to be concerned about. I I, I know I've spoken about it before. Um, I just want to keep banging the drum at how how much I am concerned for football players at the moment um all staff at clubs absolutely um but i i do think especially players in league one and league two there has been lots written about contract situations and why it's tough and why it's tricky um i just i can't bear the thought of the uncertainty that a lot of players are going through at the moment um players who you know have lived uh, a career in many cases for let's say a decade who uh, are established within that career uh, who understand you know, normal remuneration, how it works, have lived their life accordingly, uh, whether that's whether that's lived it sensibly financially or otherwise, doesn't really matter because the impact of what their new reality will be, by which I mean wages are going to go down significantly. In many cases, it's not just a case of lowering your wage. It might be a case of simply not being able to find another job because spots, contracts at football clubs are going to be finite, we think. And there are going to be teams and clubs having to cut their cloth accordingly and the fallout of that is going to be for many players um, having to really rethink you know their own career 
Uh, and in many cases, they won't have needed to do that. Uh, and, and while you might say, well, it's always good to have a backup plan, you know, the dream of playing football often involves throwing everything at it from the age of 16 and sometimes before that. And it's probably quite difficult, given we know how hard it is to actually make it uh, at any level as a professional. Uh, it's probably hard to imagine that, it, it, that there's a huge amount of time to also all become exceptionally skilled at some other career and, and easily move between them uh, where necessary. So uh, that's why I'm feeling uh, anxious on behalf of a lot of players at the moment. There was a, a fantastic piece by Adam Crafton uh, on the Athletic site. I think it was two weeks ago. I'm annoyed that I didn't flag it up at the time. I'll make sure I share it on our Twitter account after this, at NTT20pod. But um, he spoke to a lot of players across uh, the divisions and uh, explained a lot better than I did, uh, as always, uh, exactly why there are such huge concerns and exactly what the reality is going to be for many players. So give that piece a read. Search for Adam Crafton on The Athletic if you have the app, if you're a subscriber. Uh, if not, then you can subscribe. Uh, you'll get a seven-day free trial and 50% off, so £2.50 a month for full access to what The Athletic has to offer, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20pod. Uh, a complicated pod, George, in many ways, a heavy pod in some ways, but also... Um, some enthusiasm as well for the return of football. Next time we talk to you on this podcast stream, uh, we will be looking ahead at a full weekend of championship action and some League Two playoff semi-final first legs as well. Could even be a betting show coming your way next week. Wow. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that. The, a dusty betting show. Who knows? Mm. I think I left it up in the attic, so I'll see if I can dig it out again. <laughs> um, thank you very much, George, uh, for being part of the pod. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. Otherwise, it would just be me, you know, in one long monologue, which it is at times. But trust me, if you think a I... Bit like, a you, bit like the ex-Peterborough chairman. I was about to say, if you think I ramble on uh, and don't let you talk, if that's your style, you should listen to Dara McAntony's pod because it is just 40 minutes of him talking. And, you know, he actually holds it very well. It's impressive that he remains quite that engaging um so, in terms it sounds of like not the top 20 2017 to me <laughs> well <laughs> some would say that was our glory years and i do note that his pod is doing very well in the chart so maybe we should go back to that um that's enough from us guys uh, please tweet us at ntt20 pod if there's anything we've said that either didn't make sense was just plain wrong uh, there's a lot of lot of different parts to this so you know that might be the case uh, or just any questions any thoughts please do get in touch at NTT20pod and make sure you're subscribed to the Going Up, Going Down podcast feed for more reaction in the next few days. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon.